Merry Christmas, friends. If we haven't met yet, my name is Thomas. It's a joy to be together and celebrate the birth of our Savior. If you've got little kids with you and they get a little restless, don't even worry about it. It's good to be together as a family. I get a bit restless, which is why I do this job and I can walk around up here during service. But we are here to celebrate one thing, that the best gift ever given was given by God in sending his son, Jesus. And that statement alone tells us two things. One, that God is generous. God is so generous. He is a gift-giving God. And the gift he gives is none other than his own son, Jesus. The name of, the name of Jesus means God saves. Jehovah saves. And so God's generosity in being a gift-giving God in favor of us sends his own son that we would have salvation. And when we say that and proclaim that and announce that today, it is most often met with either apathy or animosity. Either apathy of Oh, man, I hope this guy doesn't talk that long. I got a honey-baked ham at the house. Get back to doing some presents. Unwrap the Christmas jammies. Get the family photos. I got some bikes to build. Or animosity. Like, don't tell me about God. This is why I want to be here. Don't tell me that God has a son named Jesus because he doesn't save. But the eyewitnesses in the historical account, when they heard that proclaimed, that the generous God had given a gift, his son, that would bring salvation to the world, it wasn't met with apathy and it wasn't met with animosity. Do you know what they felt? Fear. It was met with fear, actually. We were reading the Christmas story as a family, and as we were reading the different accounts, the different episodes, and looking at the different parts of the Christmas story, my oldest, Katen, said, Dad, why is it when we read about Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and this announcement comes to them, everybody seems to be afraid? I said, it's probably because they saw a real angel. I mean, this isn't like touched by an angel kind of angel. This is a real messenger of the heavenly host. And I would be afraid too. And fear, honestly, whenever something comes into your world that you weren't expecting and God begins to mess with some things in your world, oftentimes we experience that same fear. Fear is a basic human emotion. Every single person in this room, whether you're a child or a senior adult, you know what it is to be afraid. We all have things in our life that we're afraid of. Maybe sometimes silly things and sometimes more serious things. Some of us in the room are afraid of spiders. Some of us are afraid of mice. Some of us are afraid of like porcelain dolls or clowns or swimming in the ocean at night. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of snakes for whatever reason. I think it goes back to when I was in middle school. I was sitting in biology class and some other kids, my friends, grabbed the snakes out of the cage and they threw them on me. Now, I don't need to tell you about my childhood trauma, but from that moment on, I think I just have this fear of snakes. And one day I was working here at the church and I got a call from my wife, Kristen. And she says, you better get home in a hurry. There is a snake in our backyard and we are all inside. Come get rid of the snake. I thought, oh my gosh, like why does she call me? I'm just a husband, what can I do? But I go home and I'm thinking, 
how am I going to deal with this snake? And I walk in the house, and there's my wife and my four little kids, and they're glued to the glass slider looking at this massive snake who's just encamped in our backyard. Now, I'm not a good judge of the girth of snakes, but I think it was about 50 feet long and 200 pounds. I mean, it's massive. And I, what am I going to do? I don't want to go out there. And okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go grab an axe from my garage, and I'm going to go chop its head off. And so I go in my garage, and I get a big old axe, and I open up my garage door, and I walk out my garage door down the driveway as my neighbor Daniel is walking up the street. Hey, Thomas, what are you doing with an axe? I'm like, Daniel, there's a huge snake in my backyard. I'm going to chop its head off. Come on, you can help me. And Daniel says, Thomas, no, 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 no. Snakes are awesome. And he then tells me how he grew up with lots of snakes. Apparently his dad was like a snake wrangler or a snake charmer or something. But he loves snakes. And I thought, okay, Daniel, you're just the guy I need. I'll follow you to the backyard. We'll go take care of the snake. And as we're going back there, like, oh, my palms are getting sweaty. I don't know what's going to happen. We get in the backyard. And I think, hey, if this snake goes for Daniel's jugular and wraps itself around him, I'm just going to start swinging this thing. And people are going to be losing limbs. But I follow Daniel. And he walks up to the snake and he grabs the snake and he just picks it up and he walks over to the open space and he releases it. <clears throat> and in my victory, I walk into the house to assure my wife and children that everything is okay. I quickly change my pants and I head back to work. <laughs> like we all know what it is to be afraid. And we know that feeling in our palms. And some of those fears our big fears of future and health and what next year brings. There's fear around family, the fear around finances. There's all these fears that come in. And I want to talk to you about what do we do with fear? What do we do with fear that's often coupled by doubts? When you're afraid, there's, there's questions that start going on in your mind of how am I going to do this? How am I going to address this? Is this really going to work itself out? What do we do with our fears and our doubts? And in order to address that question, I want to use the Christmas story to do it and look at the Christmas story through the lens of the mother of Jesus, Mary herself. So if you brought a Bible and you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to Luke chapter 1. There's a Bible in front of you if you like that. Otherwise, I put everything up on the screens. You're welcome. All right. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary is betrothed. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. Now their betrothal period usually lasts a year. It's a bit more robust than our engagement. And for all legal purposes, they are considered married, yet they have not come together as husband and wife. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and, she, or, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and you will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, 
how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. Just imagine this encounter as Mary. You receive this news. Oh, favored one, the Messiah, the one God has promised, the Savior of the world, will, will be in your womb. You will be his mother. You're met with fear, are you not? There's a bit of fear here. But as Mary, just imagine being Mary. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I'm betrothed. I haven't come together with Joseph yet. How will this happen? I mean, if this is going to be true of me, how do I explain this to Joseph? How do I explain this to my parents? There's no way they're going to believe me. They're going to shun me. They're going to make me an outcast. I live in a society, in a time, that does not value me as a woman. And I'm going to have to rely on this system to care for me. Imagine the, the, the future of her hopes of her wedding day and the beginning of her family. All those dreams as she had imagined them are being shattered. She is afraid. And Gabriel reminds her, do not be afraid, you have found favor. This is what's going to happen. The, 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 the most high Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And she says, okay, hold on a second. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And there she has her doubts. I mean, Mary's no fool. She knows how babies are made. This is not possible. Now, some of you in the room have the same thoughts towards the Christmas story. That's not possible. How does a virgin give birth? And if those are your doubts tonight, you're in good company. Those were Mary's. In fact, this story would be a, a whole lot less believable if Mary just responded, okay, sounds good. Makes sense to me. But we find ourselves in the story because Mary's response is so human. It's how we would respond. There'd be fear and there'd be doubts. We'd have questions. How is this going to be possible? And Gabriel describes some things to her and encourages her by talking about a miracle that God has already done in a relative of hers named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was well advanced in her age and had never had a child. She was considered barren. And yet, there was a miracle baby in her. That God had already done something in her relative's life. That he's going to encourage Mary to go and investigate. So that her faith would be encouraged and strengthened. And then he, he tells Mary how this was going to happen. And Mary's response, in the midst of fear, in the midst of doubts, says this. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be done according to your word. This is Mary's consent. Let it be done to me. This is Mary depositing faith, showing faith in God. Now you ask, well, what, what is faith? Faith is simply depositing our fears and doubts into something. To be Christian is to take our fears and our doubts and deposit them in God. But everyone in this room has fears and doubts. We all do. And we all deposit them 
in something or someone. Every single person in this room, whether you knew it or not coming in, is a woman or a man of faith. Because you have fears and doubts, and you have to deposit it in something or someone. That takes faith. When my wife was scared of the snake, it took faith to call me and say, Thomas will come home and take care of this. She's trusting me with her fears. When I run into Daniel on the sidewalk, I'm believing him that he can take care of the snake, and I'm depositing some of my faith, because it's my fear, into Daniel. For the Christian is to say, I have these fears, and I have these doubts. It's not to have them all resolved, but it's to have them and give them, deposit them into God's words. That if God has said it, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to deposit faith in what God has said. And so Mary begins to to show this great faith in God's word. And then she does exactly what Gabriel really encouraged her to do. She's going to run over and see Elizabeth. And so in verse 39, and Those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now, she does this with haste, quickly. If Mary's like me, maybe she wakes up and thinks, well, that was crazy. I've never had that happen before. Did did I dream that? What did I eat last night? Did I really see an angel? Did that just happen? And so she runs to Elizabeth. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she, that's you, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What we learn here is that our faith is encouraged and strengthened in community. What we know about God is affirmed in community. That Mary has heard the words of God and she rushes over to Elizabeth to see if what she has heard is true. And here her faith is encouraged because she finds Elizabeth who is barren with child, six months pregnant. God has already done a miracle in her relative. And if God is faithful to do what he promised to Elizabeth, could he be faithful to do all that he has promised Mary? And Elizabeth is encouraged. I mean, how great is it that the Lord, that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me and her faith is encouraged. It teaches us that that the journey of a Christian is not an individual endeavor. This is not a single sport. This is done in community. That we take what God has shared with us and we go to one another that each other would encourage and strengthen our faith. to to share what God is doing in our life so that it would encourage you to know what God is doing in yours or can do in yours. And and then Elizabeth encourages Mary. She says, blessed are you amongst women and blessed are you because you have believed. You have believed that God would be faithful as he said he would. And so what we learn is that faith is brings blessing 
on you and others. When we deposit our faith in God, it's going to bring blessing to our lives and to others. Not in some weird, like, you know, financial and all these things are going to go well and you'll get health, wealth and prosperity. But there is God's blessing on your life that's going to flow to others. And first God blesses Mary. And then Mary sings about the blessings of others. This, this whole encouragement scene with Elizabeth stirs up inside Mary a praise, a song she sings. It's referred to as the Magnificat. And this is what Mary sings. First of the blessing that she has received and then what God is going to do to bless the world. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Because, okay, God is so good. This generous, gift-giving God has blessed me and my life. They're, they're going to remember my name for all generations. Think about that. How does Mary know that? I mean, for all generations, we couldn't name two Roman senators, probably. The most powerful people in the world at the time. And Mary, a nobody in Nazareth, in poverty, says, the world will never forget my name. They will always call me blessed because God is faithful. So I, here's the thing. I, I'm Protestant through and through. Raised Protestant. And to confess, as, as a Protestant, we probably don't give Mary the honor that she deserves. To call her blessed, to recognize the faith of this young woman and to put this young woman as an example to say, look at her faith and follow. Model your life after her life. In your fears and your doubts, look at how Mary deposited those in God. And I have other Christian friends in another Christian stream that perhaps put Mary in a place that she doesn't deserve. And those friends of mine need to hear even Mary's own words here, where she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That Mary knows that she still needs a Savior. She still needs to be saved. That Jesus will save the world, and she needs to be saved through Jesus Christ. But in its proper place, Mary is a beautiful example of a woman of faith that we can model ours after, that we can be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by looking at hers. And then she turns to talk about what God's gonna do for the world. It's not just for her. God so loved the world, and so her song continues. And it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. For all generations, for all people, God has mercy to those who fear him he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those in hum of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So it opens up and says, God has mercy for those who fear him. And you're going, hold on, time out. I just thought you said we weren't supposed to have these fears. We're supposed to deposit these fears in God. What do you mean fear him? Doesn't the fear of God drive me away from him? Not at all. The fear of God does not drive you away from God. The fear of God 
draws you in. And here's why. Whatever you fear, you give control to. There's some control to have influence in your own life, the decisions that you make. And so here's an example. If you fear what people think of you, who controls you? What influences your decisions of what do I wear? Where do I live? How do I spend? How do I go out? People's opinions of you. Because you fear them. They, they have some sort of control and influence in your life. What, what if you fear money? What controls you? Money? Do I have enough? Is this, this going to be secured? And you're always thinking about money. It has some control and influence on your life. What if you fear God? You're giving God the control. And you're allowing God to have the influence of your decisions. The ones that you're making. And so it's not the fear of God that drives you away. It's the fear of God that draws you in. I looked at the word fear. Do you know what the word fear means? It means fear. Like real fear. It's not like, oh, it's really, really nice respect. No, it's just fear. Because you see God accurately. Who he is. And if you see God accurately as he's revealed himself to be, you're going to see an awesome and powerful and great and majestic God who's holy and perfect and good and just and loving. And in that view, you see yourself. And just speaking for myself, as the biggest sinner in the room, I'm not that. And so in the recognition of who God is, of fearing, wow, that's who God is. I'm driven to him. I'm driven to him, not away. And so we have to learn that we must fear God. Now, those who don't fear God don't run to him. Those who don't fear God. Now, who doesn't fear God? It says right here in the Magnificat. It says, look right here. Those who are proud, those who are mighty and confident in their own strength, those who are rich don't fear God. They're sent away. Why is it the proud and the strong and the rich don't fear God? Do you know why that is? It's because the proud and the strong and the rich say this. Have you seen me? Man, I'm awesome. Have you not seen what I have made, what I have done, what I have accomplished? what I have purchased, what I have acquired, God, come on, look at me. But those who are humble, it means in a state of poverty, and those who are hungry, meaning you're empty, run to God. And so what we learn from Mary's song here is that Jesus, Jesus fills those who are empty, not those who who are full of themselves. Jesus loves and delights to fill those who are empty and hungry and in poverty. He's not interested in filling those who are full of themselves. And it's so easy for us to be full of ourselves. I mean, you think about the treats and the toys and the tinsel, and it's so easy to be wrapped up in these things that we lose our appetites for deep spiritual things for God himself because we're so filled with us. I don't know if you've ever 
reached the end of your rope, if you've ever gotten to a place of poverty, of emptiness. If you're around Calvary enough, you, you know most of my story. Growing up in the adolescence, I had one mission, burn the world down. That was it. I was the most angry child you could meet. And the reason I was so angry is, you know what I feared? I feared that people getting close to me would hurt me. That's what I feared. And as a defense mechanism, I became angry. And by being angry and trying to be scary and trying to be aggressive, what I could do is distance people from me. And if they were at a distance from me, then they couldn't get close enough to hurt me. Because who wants to get close to someone who's angry? And so I was just angry for so many years. And I remember sitting on a, on a curb of a sidewalk, one o'clock in the morning, and just thinking of the relationships that I've left in a wake. And thinking about all of the shame that I was experiencing and the pain that I was experiencing because of the decisions that I had made. And I remember just sitting there thinking, God, is it possible that you could repair this? I mean, change this. My life's a dumpster fire. I had finally come to the end of my rope, to the end of myself. Have you ever been there at the end of yourself? Like you're no longer a trustworthy person to trust. The end of yourself, where you just, I'm, I come so empty-handed. I see the brokenness in relationships. I see the inner turmoil in my own soul. And it's like, God, could you do something and breathe life here? Lord, could you forgive someone like me who's done things like that? Could you? In the Christmas story, the song of Mary is, he loves to. He loves. That's why he draws near to the hungry and the hurting. That's why he draws near to the empty because he longs to fill those who want him. Bernard Clairvaux, who was a French abbot, he wrote this of what we can give to God. He says, there are two things from which our weak human nature shrinks, pain and shame. Christ came to take both from us. God gave us Jesus so we can give Jesus all of our pain and shame that he would forgive us. And if he who did not spare his own son, will he not also give us all things graciously in Christ? This is why the fear of God, seeing who God is, perfect in his love, sending his son for the empty and the broken makes me run to him because he longs to fill those who are humble and hungry. That's what God loves to do. And then Mary points out why there's another reason to put faith in God. She closes out her song by saying this, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The reason that Mary can put faith in God is because God is proving he is faithful. The reason she can trust what God has said is because God is fulfilling what he said to her ancestors. Jesus is not something new. Jesus is the arrival of something promised. This is the fulfillment. And she's pointing out that because God is faithful to accomplish all that he has said, she will trust him in what he has said to her. This is why we put our faith in God, because he is faithful to accomplish everything that he has promised. From generation to generation, 
He is the securest place to take whatever fears, whatever doubts, the pains and the shame that's in this room and give to Jesus. That's the story of Christmas, to turn your life over to the gracious gift that God gave called salvation. Now, what we do on Christmas Eve is we have a little candlelight service. And we, we move in this room and it becomes completely dark. And darkness in the scriptures is spoken about our estate when we're separated from God. It's what it looks like to live apart from God. And in the midst of darkness, that's where fears creep in. That's where doubts are because you can't see all the corners in the room. But then the Bible speaks about Christ as the light of the world. And that light broke into darkness. And this light is a great light that shines and does two things. It reveals what's true. And then it draws people out of darkness to itself. And so we sit in darkness and we light a light to represent Christ coming into the world. And as Christ and the light spreads to all mankind, from one person to the next, to illuminate the world. So would you pray with me as we move into darkness? Father, we prepare our hearts and ready ourselves for the hope of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, the love of Christmas, the peace that Christ has brought. And in rendering our hearts, we remember our estate before you, lost and broken. Lord, we thank you for the mercy of sending your son before we ever asked, to send a rescuer before we even crying out. And so, Lord God, we pray, remind us what it is to be separated from you, and then remind us of the gracious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.